Tonight uh, we're dealing with uh, the subject of suicide, which of course is a difficult and, and a sensitive subject, um, one that we, we find difficult to face. It's a tragic uh, event, and at times I'm sure most of us have been left shocked and, and saddened by hearing of the death of someone we know, or someone close to us, by suicide. It's a very complex event that leaves us with many, many questions, um, and the answers are not easy. Why did it happen? How did someone get to that point in their life? Can anything be done to help? And in the midst of it all, where can real hope uh, be found? Well, those are, are some of the questions that we want to try to uh, look at this evening as we tackle this uh, subject of suicide. Let's begin with a few uh, facts and figures. Uh, how common is suicide? Well, suicide is the commonest cause of death amongst young people throughout the island of Ireland. It's more common than cancer. Uh, it's more common than road traffic accidents, which is, as you can hear from the media, from the news, is one of the most common causes of death amongst young people. That's the, the scale of, of what we're dealing with here. In Northern Ireland, in any given year, we could be looking at an average of around 200 suicides. Now, whenever we then average that out, um, we could be looking at around about four suicides every week in the province. It's an amazing uh, statistic whenever you think about it in our population of what 1.6, 1.7 million or thereabouts. Suicide is a, is a common issue and one that we have to, to face. What about uh, trends in suicide? In other words, have the, the numbers of uh, suicides changed over the years? Well, since around the 1950s, 60s, over the last five or six decades, the number of suicides has increased sixfold. Uh, so that's six times more suicides happening today than there were uh, around about 50 years ago. And have there been any changes within that increase? Well, the, the increase we've seen um, is greatest in the young age group, that age group between 15 and 29. And within that age group, uh, the greatest increase has been amongst young men, which is something I'm sure you'll have heard about in the, in the media and something that, that, that wouldn't surprise you. So we're looking at suicide being a problem that is occurring every week in the province and in fact those numbers of um, around about uh, 200 in a year, that's only the number of those who actually complete suicide, those who die by suicide. It's thought that there are actually about 10 times that number attempting uh, suicide. And so what we're really looking at here then is throughout the, the, the length and, and, and breadth um, of the island, throughout the province as well, we're looking at uh, something that is affecting us every single day. Every single day there are people who are attempting suicide. So this is the scale of, of the problem that, that, that we're facing. And the question then inevitably comes to us, why? Why is this happening? Why is this such a major problem? Now the why question is, is a difficult one to answer. We've already mentioned at the beginning how suicide can be a very complex event. But whenever we're looking into that question of why, we, we look at a thing called risk factors. Risk factors are characteristics, factors which in a person's life increase 
their risk of suicide. Now it's important to say that risk factors are not necessarily causes. There is a bit of a difference here. For example, if I were to say to you that divorce is a risk factor for suicide, it's different from saying that divorce causes suicide. What we mean is that um, amongst, if we compare divorced people and married people, there's a higher rate of suicide in the divorced group. So divorce is a risk factor. But it's not necessarily the case that the divorce caused the suicide. It's not just as straightforward as that. So what we're going to do now then is look at um, a list of some of these risk factors. And remember, they're helping us to answer this question, why? What kind of person, in what kind of situation, might be at risk of suicide? Does age play a part? And yes, it does. And despite what we said at the beginning about younger people, it may surprise you to know that actually it's the elderly who are at greatest risk. Those that are 75 years and above are thought to be at the greatest risk um, of suicide. It may seem strange to our ears at first, but I suppose whenever we think about it, 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 it does begin to make sense. Elderly people are more likely to have been bereaved, uh, they're more likely to be facing illnesses that are chronic, debilitating, painful. Uh, they're more likely to be facing issues such as loneliness. And if we put a lot of those things together, well then it might make us begin to see how age can play a part. Are men and women different? Well, yes, again, the, the studies would show us that they, they are, that uh, women are um, at, at at less risk than men in the sense that uh, there are greater, uh, greater numbers of men committing suicide by a ratio of about 3 to 1. Um, and again, we're not quite sure why exactly that difference is. We know as well that, that men are more likely to use more violent means um, of, of taking their own lives, things such as hanging uh, and firearms. Does being married affect risk well yes it does in that marriage in some senses is a protective factor uh, what we see is that uh, those that are most at risk are, are first of all those that are divorced uh, then those uh, that have been widowed and after that then those that are single um, again why might this be well those that have come through a divorce have not only lost a, a relationship but have come through probably the conflict or maybe the acrimony of the, the split. Um, those obviously that have, that have bereaved have, um, have gone through a process of grief and, and losing someone that was very, very much part of their life. And all three groups can face the issue again of loneliness and of isolation. Does having a job help? Well again, um, we, we see that uh, employment seems to be protective. Um, the unemployed are at greater risk. Again, why might that be? Well, perhaps having a job uh, gives us a sense of, of purpose, something to get up for, something to live for. We're gaining some income may give us some sense of, of security. So there are a number of reasons why having a job may help. What about living circumstances? Well, I've already alluded to the issue of loneliness uh, being important. Um, those that are living alone are at risk of becoming more isolated. And again, it's thought that that may uh, increase risk. Religious people wouldn't commit suicide. True or false? Well, of course, it's false because religious people do commit suicide and are at risk also. Uh, again, what the folks that have studied this whole area would, would tell us is that uh, religion can up to a point um, be protective. Sometimes religious beliefs will keep a person back from doing anything to harm themselves. But particularly uh, where their beliefs are also backed up by practice, 
that for some reason seems to be again more protective in relation to suicide. It may be that that reflects just deeply, more deeply held uh, convictions than just those who say that they believe um, a certain faith. When they're actually living according to that, it probably means that it's more of a reality in their life. And that may be why it's uh, protective. Does your health count? Well, again, when we mentioned older folk, we did say that those with more chronic, debilitating, painful diseases could be um, at greater risk. So health is uh, important. What if you've tried before? Does that place you at greater risk? And of course the answer is yes, it does. Of those that complete suicide, at least 50% have had previous attempts on their life. Now here we have to kind of distinguish between uh, different uh, phenomena that are going on. Uh, for those that were at the, the, the talk on depression, I mentioned briefly about this whole phenomenon of, of self-harming that we see frequently today amongst young people. And whilst obviously it's a concerning um, issue, it's, it's self-destructive, it isn't healthy, for some of those people that engage in self-harming, it actually is for them a coping mechanism. It's something that they use to cope and to, to find relief sometimes from very difficult, distressing emotions that, that they have inside, again, for all kinds of reasons. And so we have to distinguish those that are harming themselves because they're actually trying to cope with what's difficult and they're using what may seem to many other people a strange uh, almost contradictory way of doing that but yet and with all it's still a coping mechanism and those that are actually harming themselves as a genuine attempt on their life and with the intention of wanting to take their life the bottom line is though that having tried before does place you at, at greater risk do people who commit suicide have psychiatric problems well, again, a number of years back, uh, some research was done actually locally here in, in Northern Ireland, and what it showed us is that about 9 out of 10 people that end up taking their lives by suicide have had some history of some kind of mental health problem. Now, what I want to emphasize here is that it's a mental health problem in the broadest sense of, of the word. Um, even from mental health issues that just affect our personality uh, right through to things like depression. The most common um, psychiatric problem in inverted commas that was related to suicide was actually alcohol abuse. Um, and of course we can see how that might be the case. Someone affected by alcohol abuse can end up losing an awful lot of things in their life. And of course the... the um, the drug itself can actually make a person behave in impulsive ways and, and become disinhibited and act in ways that they wouldn't normally um, act and may act also as a, as a depressant. Other um, psychiatric problems that, that were connected with suicide were, as you can imagine, depression, we touched on before, uh, also things like bipolar disorder, which is uh, manic depression, um, and things like schizophrenia uh, as well. So psychiatric problems in the broadest sense of the word are a major risk factor uh, for, for suicide. Before we move on to this then, just to, to recap and say that what we were looking at there were a number of risk factors and we were asking this question, why does suicide happen? What kind of people in what kind of circumstances are going to be more at risk. I wonder just if you can cast your mind back over some of those um, uh, factors. I wonder, did you notice any kind of, of thread, any kind of common theme that, that was coming through them all? Uh, what is it about these particular factors that they make someone more at risk of taking their own life. But I think we see, if we begin to look at them carefully and look for the common thread, is that in some way they all relate to 
losses to disappointments to failed expectations to hopes which have been dashed let's take marriage for example a couple that are getting married as they're walking off down the aisle together uh, what kind of expectations do they have well of course they both are making their commitment to one another they're expecting and hoping for stability uh, life together companionship uh, an income which will help them to set up a home and be comfortable uh, perhaps a family they're looking forward uh, towards uh, a lifelong partnership uh, and family that is their expectation but then uh, as the years perhaps go by tensions come in or something happens in their relationship and it causes that split and it, it leads to something like divorce what has happened? those expectations that they had at the beginning have been dashed they've been taken away uh, they have failed and whenever you think about it and look through these risk factors we see that kind of thread coming through whether it's our health uh, whether it's our living circumstances, um, our employment, um, in relation to psychiatric problems, uh, finances, uh, any of those factors in life that we look to for stability, which we place our expectations upon, whenever those things become shaky, uncertain, or are taken away from us, it can lead to this greater risk. Um, of suicide I want you to hold on to that thought because we will come back to it later on well let's shift gear then and, and look at a, a different aspect of, of this issue what, what can we do how might we help someone who we think may be at, at risk and here are some if you like do's, do's and don'ts the first thing is don't be afraid to ask if we're worried about someone, very often we can have the concern, fear in the back of our minds, that, that worry nagging at us about this person. But it's an area that we really don't want to get into, if we're honest, isn't it? It's an area that we find it very difficult uh, to talk about. We'll look at that in a few moments. And there's another fear that we have in there, and it's this, that by asking about the issue, Will we put the idea into their heads? Now that is a myth. Okay, that um, is something which um, we we think could happen, but really is very very unlikely. The reason is this: if someone is struggling and hasn't had any thoughts of suicide, asking them just about the issue is very unlikely to suddenly switch them to becoming uh, suicidal and we'll be looking later on at, at, at how that process might happen and if they are feeling that way well then usually they're very relieved to be able to talk about it because for them it's something that they're bottling up inside something that they just can't talk to people about uh, something that, that they know other people find difficult to address and so for them to be able to talk about that uh, can be something which can bring great relief to them so don't be afraid to ask if you are really concerned about someone. If they come up with a positive answer, then don't panic either. Um, reassure them um, and also encourage them that help can be, be found. The other thing, I suppose, to balance that is not to ignore it. Um, there are those who will repeatedly threaten to harm themselves or to take their life. There are people who use it as a means of expressing distress and concern. And sometimes it's very easy if someone is repeatedly saying they want to harm themselves or to kill themselves. It's very easy for us to dismiss it, to ignore it, to label it as attention-seeking and, and not to look behind it. Um, now that's a, a risky thing to do we can understand why we do that if someone's repeatedly saying they're going to do this and that it's never happened yet and yet it's a risky thing to do the way to look at that is to see that person's 
uh, repeated threats, if you like, as them expressing some kind of distress. There's obviously something behind all of that. Why are they doing that? Why do they repeatedly threaten us? Why do they say they're going to harm themselves? What is going on behind all of that? Because they're trying to express some kind of distress and they really are calling for your attention. They are wanting help and they know that this is some way that you will take notice of them and there must be a reason for it. So don't be tempted to ignore it. There's another myth out there and it says that those who talk about it don't do it. Okay, well, that may be the case sometimes, but it's also equally true that those who talk about it do do it. Um, and those of us particularly that, that, that work in mental health um, have seen that. So don't ignore it. <coughs> do be on the lookout. If you are concerned about someone, uh, what you might do is you can cast your mind back over some of those risk factors that we've talked about there and then begin to think, well, I wonder, is this person really at any kind of significant risk here? Do they have any of those things that we talked about earlier that might make them at greater risk? Well, sometimes it can be very hard, can't it, to, to know what to say, to know what to ask, to say the right thing. Offering practical help can be very important because very often it may be some practical issue, some practical stress, that's brought a person to this point and if you can step in and bring some practical support that can be a very protective thing also doing that puts you in a position with that person a position where you gain their trust a position where they feel they can trust you enough to talk to you and to open up and to tell you how they are really feeling so offering practical help can be very very useful I suppose finally do that safety first. Safety uh, has to be the priority. Um, and on that point, be very careful about agreeing to uh, keep confidences. Be very careful of, of the person who says to you, um, I don't want you to tell anybody this, but this is how I'm feeling. Because if, if, if someone is obviously feeling suicidal and is genuinely at risk, then really you are going to have to seek help and get support from someone else. And it's not something that you can carry yourself. And you cannot then agree to keep that confidential. So be careful about uh, that one. And finally, do encourage them to seek help. Do remind them that there is help available. Um, that help may come from a number of different sources. It may come from someone that they know well, who they trust, maybe someone in their family, maybe a friend, maybe someone that works with them. Um, anyone, some figure in their life uh, that you know they respect and trust it may be uh, the GP and certainly um, it can be very useful to, to call on medical help um, and there are um, services out there within the NHS, crisis services and even in the voluntary sector as well, people out there who are there to support and to seek help and also within churches so do encourage them to seek help Well, most of us perhaps will, will not want to delve too deeply into the whole question of suicide with an individual if, if we're worried about them. Um, and if they do begin to, to um, talk to us about feeling suicidal. But there may be some of you who are in positions where um, you are um, having to, to help people, support people, um, and find out a bit more about how they are doing at the minute. And when that's the case, then what, what do we say? How do we ask about this, this topic, which is so sensitive and so difficult uh, for us all? Well, I suppose the most uh, important uh, thing to say there is, first of all, it's probably more important to listen than to say anything. Um, and to, to listen with really listening and trying to understand where the person is at and what is, has brought them to this point. Uh, so listening and trying to understand is vital. But when we do have to really probe a bit further and ask, well then, it's best to begin with very general and open questions. Um, and just to ask them things like, well, how are you doing these days? Um, I've, I've noticed that you've been um, struggling. i noticed maybe that you haven't been yourself. How are you feeling? Uh, how are things going? Um, and then you may want to narrow it down a bit further if they tell you that they're struggling and say well you know are you, are you finding it hard to keep going do you, 
Ever wonder, is there any point to it all? Um, can you see light at the end of the tunnel? And so what you're doing is you're trying to kind of probe a bit further, gently, um, but just ask um, a little more specifically. And if you're getting positive answers to that, then what we normally do is really make it very specific. And ask them, well, have you thought about ending it all? And again, if they're giving positive responses, then we really want to find out how significant this risk is. And so we'll ask them questions, well, um, how serious are you about this? Have you made any plans to do anything? Have you taken any steps uh, to put that plan into practice? Um, we may ask them, have they begun to sort out affairs? Are there any of these last acts that sometimes people engage in, such as writing a letter, um, giving away prized possessions, again, uh, sorting out um, their affairs and finances and so on. And so what we're really doing there is, as we're asking people about the issue, we're starting very broadly, in a very open way, a very gentle way, not too invasive or intrusive, and we're narrowing it down at each level until we can ask very specific questions. And in that way, we get some idea of what degree of risk is there. Well, finally, on this whole issue, again, don't take risks. If you're worried about someone, um, get help for them or bring them to help. Um, and do encourage hope. Encourage that hope um, uh, and help are available, that something can be done to um, bring them back from this and to help them to see a way forward and reassure them uh, strongly about that. Well, I want to shift then again and, and, and look at another um, issue within the, the, the broad area of suicide. We said earlier about this rise in, the suicide, in, in suicide amongst young people. Um, and I guess the, the question comes to us, well, why does that happen? I mean, why young people? Um, young people who have their whole life ahead of them, who carry so much potential, um, why is it that young people should be at risk of suicide? And of course, it's a very pertinent question, isn't it, for us? Um, over the past couple of years in, in the province, um, and particularly actually in the area that I'm from around County Armagh, um, there have been uh, spates of, of suicides amongst young people, uh, which have caused a great deal of, of concern for us. Why do young people take their own lives? Well, there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, one of them is depression. Um, we'll not go back over um, what we talked about the last time, except to say that depression in young people does look very different uh, from uh, the picture that we talked about a couple of months ago in adults. About 2 or 3% of adolescents get depressed. Um, and although we, we may sometimes look at young people and um, don't, don't forget that we all came through this um, and think, well, they're usually quite moody, uncommunicative at times, um, and that may be the case. We've all been there. But depression in young people can often present in that way. Uh, the young person becomes more moody and doesn't communicate as much with you. Uh, what are some of the other signs of depression in young people? Uh, well, they, they lose interest in things. They begin to drop interest. That, that, that they've had and we see that change in them um, they may have sleep disturbance but they may also oversleep their appetite may be disturbed and it may also increase they may withdraw quite a bit uh, socially um, as well um, and of course for young people who may have a very strong and active social life that may be um, quite a, a striking uh, feature um, to, to take note of um, and generally there's an, an irritability uh, can, can come over them and all of this is a change from the norm for that young person and that can be really one of the most telling factors is that it's a change it's something that is uh, different for this person so it's like a change in, in personality why, why do young people uh, become depressed. Well, a number of reasons for that. There may be a family history. We mentioned that the last time. 
uh, with adults. Um, it may be to do with home circumstances, young people that are brought up in a home where there's uh, more um, discord between parents, where there is perhaps rejection from parents or, or coldness, um, just in the general atmosphere of the home may be more at risk. Young people that have lost um, a parent that have been bereaved um, of, of mother or father um, again are at greater risk. Um, other things that are relevant here are um, events in their life such as abuse um, is a very common one. Um, sexual abuse, physical or emotional um, abuse. Um, and again, life events uh, coming in, um, which we'll come back to uh, in a moment or two. I suppose another reason why young people get depressed, and, and uh, this is maybe one that we don't think about just so much, is, is that for some young people it's a kind of a cultural thing. It's something that is almost fashionable. Um, it, it fits in with the, the kind of the, the, the gothic kind of scene, um, or if you've heard of the emo uh, kind of scene, um, where again uh, the, the whole kind of uh, fashion is around kind of dressing completely in, in, in black all of the time. There's a certain kind of, of music that, that goes with it. There's a kind of a pessimistic, gloomy um, outlook that's connected with it all. And in the midst of all of that, there's a fascination with death and with dying. Um, that then leads to the young people uh, making icons of, of other young famous people that have died um, by suicide at a young age. Um, and it can lead them to look into the internet and go on uh, sites about death and suicide and so on. And it's part of a scene. It's part of a culture. And the risk of that is that it can feed into the whole mindset of the young person so that depression, in a sense, becomes something that is fashionable, it's a way of life, and that becomes part of the way that that young person thinks, part of their attitude and part of how they see life um, in general. And so it can be a very uh, dangerous and unhelpful thing. Again, we're looking at why young people commit suicide. Depression is one reason. The family history of suicide um, is another reason which places young people at greater risk. Life events. We mentioned it there in relation to depression, but in and of itself, life events with a young person can um, precipitate um, suicide. What kind of life events are important? Well, some of the, the big ones are things like breakup of relationships. And this seems to be particularly threatening for young men, um, particularly where the relationship has been a very steady relationship and a, a sexual relationship. Uh, for some reason, in that situation, a young man in particular can see that split um, as being very, very threatening. Again, we don't know why young men in particular, perhaps it's just to do with the stage of maturity that uh, males are, compared to females at that stage, we're not quite sure. Um, but certainly that seems to be very relevant. Other life events that are important are, are things that um, are shameful or humiliating. Um, and of course there we're thinking about things like bullying, um, we're thinking about abuse, um, we're thinking even of situations that involve failure. Maybe failure at school, failure um, academically, failure um, against, as opposed to their, their, in relation to their peers, maybe in, in, even in sports or, or other activities. It may be one of the reasons why uh, we sometimes hear about um, very high-achieving young people who go off to university go off to Cambridge, Oxford, places like that, and during their studies there, they take their life. And it may be that they've set very high expectations, they're very driven, um, and then they get into that situation where the standards and their peers are, are even a step above that again, and then failure in comparison can be a very catastrophic and crushing thing for them, and something that they can't take the humiliation of it as too much.
So life events um, are significant as well. Risky behaviours. Young people who engage in generally risky kind of behaviour are more at risk. And the kind of behaviour we're talking about is behaviour um, that um, engages in maybe drug taking and in risky uh, sexual behaviour as well. Again, why is that? Why might that be that those young people are more at risk? Well, perhaps it reflects a more impulsive kind of young person, more impulsive in their character. They get more involved in in drugs and risky sexual uh, stuff. And that may be one reason, or perhaps it reflects a kind of a disillusionment in the young person uh, with their life, with the world around them, and so they get engaged in these behaviours which bring short-term pleasure, but ultimately don't bring any satisfaction and leave them then uh, feeling more empty and hopeless at the end. But for some reason, young people that engage in risky behaviours are at greater uh, risk. Seeking help um, is is also um, an important issue because young men in particular are poor at seeking help. And again, it's one of the reasons probably why the rates amongst young men have risen over the last five decades. Young men are, are, are poor at seeking help. They're more likely to see something like depression as just something they should shake off and pull themselves together and get on with life. Um, They're less willing to attend their GP or to attend a psychiatrist for some kind of support and to acknowledge that there's a problem. They're more uh, sensitive to the whole issue of stigma in relation to all of this and so they're less likely to seek help and that can be um, a major major issue. Well, let's move on from talking about young people and suicide to look at this whole issue of grief after suicide. Last month, for those of you that were here, you'll have heard about grief and the process of, of grief and how it affects us and how we work through that. People that are bereaved by suicide can have many, many questions. And one of the main feelings that they struggle with is guilt. Why did this happen? And more importantly, is there something that I could have done to have prevented this? Maybe if I had said this. Maybe if I had done that. Maybe if I had just stepped in there, it would have prevented the whole thing. And a person who's been bereaved uh, by suicide of someone close to them can be racked with those kind of, of questions. And of course, not only is there guilt, but there's a sense of anger as well at times. Um, it shouldn't have happened. Now we're left just to pick up the pieces. Um, and those feelings can be very, very strong. Amongst young people too, it can leave a great sense of insecurity and anxiety. And I think that this is one of the reasons why we've seen in the province these spates of suicides. Um, what I've seen um, in, in talking to young people that have um, been uh, in that kind of circle is that whenever someone close to them commits suicide is that suddenly all of these questions, fears and insecurities flood in. All kinds of myths then can be propagated usually by text or by email or by the um, communication websites that are are on the internet. And there's all of this communication going on amongst the young people, all kinds of myths and ideas and fears um, being spread amongst them and it can leave them all feeling terribly anxious, terribly insecure and leave them even feeling, am I going to be next? And of course, that kind of uh, thought can play in a young person's mind. And because all of this communication is going in within that peer group, then very often they may not talk to someone who's older than them, leaving parents and those that are working with them uh, concerned and, and yet in the dark about how those young people are really feeling inside. And I, I, I think that that might be part of the reason why then we see sometimes um, a spate um, of these um, events occurring um, together. 
So can these young people feeling very, very insecure? And important for us then to step in there to hear what's going on in their thoughts and to try and bring that reassurance and security uh, to them again in whatever way that we can. Well, those are some of the feelings that we get with grief after suicide. And the first thing to say is that all of those feelings are natural and are understandable and are part of that process that we call grief, that process of reacting uh, to loss. They are not abnormal. They are to be expected. Bereavement, though by suicide, can at times look a little bit different and it can be more and prolonged. What are some of the features that that we see in uh, grief with suicide? Well, we we can see at the beginning a very very intense shock. Brenda may have mentioned that one of the first phases is this kind of disbelief and, and numbing and not being able to take in what has happened. And of course, with suicide, that can be even greater. It's so unexpected. It's so tragic that we really just cannot take it in. And so that sense of numbness and finding it hard to accept it uh, can be even more intense. Those left behind can also feel quite isolated. Death by suicide still don't leave um, a stigma. There can be feelings of shame with the, the family and friends. And of course that becomes intensified because those around them don't quite know what to say and how to offer encouragement um, um, in that setting. And of course it can uh, make the isolation all the worse. And of course there is the question of why. And those left behind can often embark on a very long uh, search, many questions to try and find the answer as to why this person who was close to them took uh, their own lives. Well, no matter how often we try to look at it, no matter how closely we look at it, no matter how far we search for the answers, very often we cannot know. We can never truly know what was going through a person's uh, mind in those moments uh, before they take their life nor those steps that, that finally lead up to um, their suicide. What we have seen this evening is that in all likelihood it's a whole range of factors that are acting together to lesser, greater extents, compounding each other and finally bringing the person uh, to that point. And many people that are left behind after suicide will come to that uh, point of, of accepting that they can never fully know. But what do you say then to someone who has been bereaved by uh, suicide? Well, I think it's important to, to bear in mind what we said, to try and understand what they might be feeling and thinking, what it's like for, for them, for those that are close to the person. Important to be a listening ear and again to offer whatever support practically you can. One piece of advice I think I would give is don't be tempted to rush in with that answers. Um, even those that are close to the individual that has taken their lives can very often differ greatly in their views as to why it happened. And so you coming in with your uh, piece of advice and your view on the whole thing can lead to difficulty and to strain on relationships. And so don't be too tempted to try and give too many answers uh, too soon. Well, it will always live with those that have been uh, bereaved in this way, but most come to some level of acceptance, and it's important for us to try to bring hope. And that brings us to the most important aspect, I suppose, of what we are considering this evening. We've looked at a whole range of risk factors, reasons, situations, circumstances in which a person might come to this point. We've seen that it very often relates to disappointments, failed expectations, dashed hopes. We saw that those things that in this life are meant to give us some hope and certainty 
are at best uncertain and cannot really be depended upon. And yet we've also seen that it's very difficult for us to know what exactly went through that person's mind in those final moments before they took their life. What I think we can say is that for that person at that point in time they cannot see any other option. For them there does not seem to be any other way forward other than this one. They don't have any expectation of any further good that will come to them in this life. They can't look forward to anything. Their hope has run out. I want to just take a few minutes to tell you about a group uh, of people who were suffering the hardships of this life. If you had known them and were looking on at their lives, you would have thought that hope was running out for them. They had marital issues, some had difficulties in the workplace, some had skeletons in the cupboard which were coming back to haunt them, some were facing unfair public slander. And if you had been looking at their lives, you would have been wondering how they could keep going. Despite trying to live good, honest lives, bad things kept coming their way. And we read about these people in the Bible. And uh, Peter, that Peter who was one of Jesus' followers, one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote a letter to these people in the Bible. It's the first letter of Peter, or, or first Peter. And I'm going to read you a little extract from it, because in this extract he says an amazing thing. He says that in the midst of all of these hardships in their lives, they were rejoicing. They were truly glad. In the midst of a lot of those things that we talked about at the beginning, which we could look at as risk factors for suicide, these people were rejoicing. Let me read to you what Peter says to them. He says that God, in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade which is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen to this. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now the question for us this evening is why were these people so different? If they were suffering so much, if they were facing so many disappointments, so many trials, so many difficulties, so much so that Peter says here it was grieving them, and we know how sore and painful and difficult grief is. We've just been talking about it. So what was going on in their lives was grieving them. How come there is not even a hint here that their hope was running out. What made these people so different from the majority of society today? Well, what made them different is that they had this thing that Peter calls here in verse 3 a living hope. What that means is this. It means that this world with all of its pressures was not where they belonged. 
those hardships that they were facing were not their home. The bereavements, the illnesses, the frailty, the weakness, the depression, the shameful, humiliating, evil experiences, none of that was their home. They knew that those things were not their inheritance. Things may have been bad for them at the minute, and they were, but they were sure that things were going to get better. They were confident that good would come to them. And in the language that Peter was using here about them, it wasn't just some kind of wishful thinking. It wasn't just the way we talk about hope and that, you know, I hope that it will be sunny tomorrow. It wasn't that kind of uncertain sort of hope. It was a sure, certain, guaranteed hope that we can be absolutely confident in. It was real hope. The kind of hope that does not run out. And so that's why whenever the grief and the pain and the distress and difficulty came, they could still have joy. Because they weren't rejoicing in their suffering, they were rejoicing in their hope. And that's what Peter means there when he says, in this you rejoice. And now for the big question. What about you this evening? Ask yourself this question. Where does my hope lie? Ask yourself honestly that question. Are you sure that good will come your way? I mean, absolutely confident. Do you have hope? And again, we don't mean hope in the way the world means it, not that uncertain, unsure, doubtful kind of hope that everything will just turn out okay in the end if we keep trying to do what's right. What we're talking about is the kind of hope that God gives, the kind of hope that God is talking about here in the Bible. It's a confident hope. It's certain, absolutely certain of the good that will come. And it's certain because God has said it. If God has said it, it's going to be there. It's going to happen because he only speaks the truth. That inheritance that we read of there cannot be taken away. That future that we read of, God has promised it. And his word can't fail. And the good news for us this evening is that all of us can know that hope. We can know that hope by turning around and by putting our trust in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's through him that we can receive that hope. And we can guarantee you that in him you will find a hope that will never disappoint you and will never run out. Thank you very much.